Morning, everyone. Good to see you. Hmm. Do America know what they're in for? <laughs> I was talking to Ingrid. <laughs> they thought Trump was a problem. <laughs> so good to see you all. So Romans, yeah, interesting book. I want to set the scene for you in Romans just a little bit. So I'm going to read a few things. But it's when you start a book, I love it when we preach through books. I really do. Because I find um, often in churches we pick topics and themes, but you can often skip things. Whereas when you go through a book, uh, the gospel particularly, or any of the New Testament, you kind of, it's very hard to miss something. Um, and Jonathan Leach always used to say the Bible's reprinted every morning. So you go and read a chapter today and God speaks to you and then tomorrow you read the same chapter and he says something completely different because there's always just stuff that kind of pops out. So we're going to keep doing Romans for the next couple of weeks, but just to kind of whet your appetite on Romans. So the book of Romans is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the Christians in Rome. So it's a letter. When you're reading it, think of a letter being written to somebody. What does that mean? It was written about 56 to 58 AD, so that's 56 years after the death of Jesus. Think of this as a, as a testimony. You think of, if I said to you, write something today about Nelson Mandela. You're thinking and you're, you're kind of remembering things. This is the context of this letter. It's Paul writing what he's learned a few years ago from being with Jesus being with the disciples, being with the Holy Spirit and some of that journey that he's been on and his experience with God. So it's very fresh in a sense. It's one of the most important and influential books of the New Testament. Paul writes this letter while he's in Corinth, is what we believe. Later on in the book it covers that. And he's on his way to Jerusalem with funds for poor believers. So he's gathered funds and he's on his way somewhere. But he still has time to write letters. And to encourage the church and to build people up. The book of Romans was written during a time of great political and social change in the region. At the time, Rome was the dominant power in the Mediterranean world. And the city of Rome itself was a bustling metropolis with a diverse population. The Roman Empire was in the process of expanding its territory. And there were many different cultures and religions interacting with one another. Does this remind you of Durban? Does this remind you of South Africa? Does this remind you of America? Um, side note, Los Angeles, 128 languages in Los Angeles. In this church, we don't have 128. We have about 10, 12, I don't know. But we in Sarepta here, we're, we're not a bustling metropolis, but we're a mixture of people and language and culture. This is who Paul's writing to. In Judea, the province where Jesus was born and where Christianity had its roots, tensions were high between the Jewish population and the Roman authorities. There had been several uprisings and rebellions against Roman rule. Later on, after the letter, there was the Jewish war from 66 to 73 AD that resulted in the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. So there's this fighting this 
who are we dealing with government-wise and how does all that play out? And the Romans are ruling, but we're in Israel and we have our thing. There's this tension going on. Dare I say, sounds like South Africa. In addition, there were many different religions and philosophical movements competing for followers in the region. This included various forms of Judaism as well as mystery religions from the East, Mithraism and the cult of Isis. The Christians in Rome during the time of the Book of Romans was written were facing a number of challenges and difficulties. They were a minority group in a predominantly pagan society and their beliefs were often seen as strange and even dangerous. They faced suspicion, persecution from the government and the population who saw them as a threat to their traditional values and practices. I heard a statement recently in the news. Christianity, white man's religion. Persecution of Christians. It's not a white man's religion. It's God. We worship God. It's not to do with color. The early Christian community in Rome was diverse, composed of people from a variety of ethnic and cultural backgrounds, which created potential for tensions and misunderstandings within the community. This ref is reflected in the book of Romans, which addresses some of the issues of division and conflict within the church, as well as between Jewish and Gentile Christians. We see that in the church in South Africa. You, you have the white church and the Indian church and the this church and the that church. Here at Sarepta, we are blessed to have an integrated community. But even in that, we have to learn to understand each other because we do have different backgrounds. We have different cultures. We have different languages. We have different understandings. And we get to have that amazing opportunity to talk it out and to say, wow, I didn't know that. that's what you believed. Is that where you come from? I didn't know that. I, I, I didn't know that kind of thing about you. And we, we learn to adapt with each other. But sometimes that difference can cause conflict. Because we don't hear each other. We interpret through, through our upbringing. So we go, in school I was taught this. What school did you go to? Your school is not that school. That school was very different. So my school, we had classrooms and a roof. Some people went to school under a tree. That's different. What, what would that experience be to me? What can I learn from that? And how different is that? And so we get to learn from each other by understanding each other. And so Paul's dealing with this in the book of Romans. He's dealing with a church that is integrating, but different languages, different cultures, different stuff going on. And there's some conflict in that. The Christians in Rome were grappling with the questions about how to live out their faith in a society that was hostile to them. The book of Romans offers guidance on how to navigate these challenges. So as we're going through the book, think about that guidance on how to navigate these challenges, emphasizing the importance of faith, love, and righteousness in the face of persecution and opposition. The Emperor Claudius has recently expelled Jews from Rome which likely included Jewish Christians, and there were periodic outbreaks of violence against Christians throughout the empire. 
Christians were accused of practicing cannibalism. The Eucharist, breaking of bread, misunderstanding. And of being atheists, since they did not worship the traditional Roman gods. We see that sometimes. You do not worship who I worship. So there's a misunderstanding again. Now we talk misunderstanding not just in the church, but misunderstanding in the community. And keeping in mind, we, are, we as Christians, probably the biggest thing we can do is bring the gospel. And if there's a conflict, how do we get past that so that we can bring the gospel? That's one of the challenges we have, is to be understanding so that we can bridge that gap and bring the gospel. The most intense persecution of Christians in Rome occurred under the emperor Nero, who blamed them for the great fire that destroyed much of the city in 64 AD. So this is after the letter of Romans, but it set some of the scene. According to the tradition, Nero had Christians rounded up and executed in horrific ways, including crucifixion, burning at the stake, being thrown to the wild animals in the Colosseum. Now, in South Africa, we don't necessarily see persecution to that extent. But there is significant persecution in the world. Go and do some searching on the internet. You'll find that the most persecuted countries in the world where Christians are being persecuted, China, India, Nigeria, North Korea, Mozambique. North Korea is really up there. It's probably the worst um, in the sense of persecution of Christians. You, you may not worship. You may not gather in home cells. You may not worship God. You, you are indoctrinated and inculturated in a way to get rid of Christianity. And we, we have the privilege of not being there, but quite easily as a country over time, the country could slip there. And I guess if we're reading the book of Revelations, that will start to happen more and more. And so we prepare ourselves for that. We prepare for persecution. Um, and it's not that far away, Mozambique. Did I say Mozambique? Last year, there were more Christians killed in the northern Mozambique than there's ever been before. So it is close. It's not far away. Despite the persecution, Christianity continued to spread throughout Rome and empire, and many earned Christians saw their suffering as a sign of their faithfulness to Christ. The book of Romans offers guidance on how to endure persecution and remain faithful to God in the face of adversary, emphasizing the importance of faith, hope, and love. The book begins with a statement of Paul's purpose in writing, which is to introduce himself and his message to the Roman Christians and to explain the gospel, which is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Paul then goes on to explain that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are sinful and in need of salvation. Through faith in Jesus Christ. He emphasizes that salvation is not earned through good works or following a law, but rather it is a free gift of God's grace through faith. Paul also discusses the role of faith in the life of a Christian, emphasizing that faith leads to righteousness and freedom from sin. He also addresses the issue of the relationship between Jews and Gentiles in the early Christian community, arguing that all people are equal in the eyes of God. The book of Romans is often studied for its theology and its clear presentation of the gospel message. And it's been influential in the development of Christian theology and a source of inspiration for many, many people. That will give you a backdrop for the next few weeks.
kind of sets the tone. And how easily we could, can, relate to Romans. We can relate to this letter that Paul is writing. Because it relates to us. It relates to us as a multicultural society. It relates to us as a society that has all these strange things that are going on. People who are promoting whatever they're promoting. Different religions and and how that conflicts with us and, and where we are potentially persecuted and there is persecuted heavily in some countries but even in South Africa you can see it sometimes in the media where there's, there's persecution taking place there's things are kind of being stirred up now let's get to Romans 1 I should be done in about three hours um, Amanda since you're back can you read for us I know how much you love reading <laughs> yeah. Romans one eighteen to thirty two. God's wrath against mankind. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, 
ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Thank you. So we open up with bang. <laughs> Once again, the audience, Paul's talking to the Romans, the church in Rome, and all the pagan religions and all the things that are going on. There's a lot of stuff going on that is not of God. But not only that, he's highlighting that sin is universal. Here's the bad news. You're all in that list somewhere. That list applies to all of us. doesn't matter who we are. We're in the list. Somewhere in that list, you were mentioned. Because we are deprived. We, we are full of that thing called sin that just messes us up. And the bad news is, it separates us from God. The good news is, it doesn't have to be like that. I would love to say, it'll be controversial because I can, black people never sin. So, so, did I get that wrong? White people never sin. South Africans never sin. No? Indians. Indians never sin? Eskimos. What about Americans? They never sin. Sin is universal. Doesn't matter who you are. We are sinners. And we know that. And so what Paul is painting there in his Romans is he's painting that picture to say, you've got a problem. Your problem is sin. And because of that, God's wrath, his anger, his fierce anger is coming towards us. Now I have to, I have to contemplate that for a second. Have any of you ever been angry? Have you been angry? Okay, you've been angry. Have you seen somebody who can get angrier than you? You've seen that? Now imagine God, who has no limits, gets angry. Who has absolute power. What does that look like? God's wrath is going to get poured out. I do not want to be on the other side of that. It is not limited, but it is being saved up for the end times. The good news is we get to be with Jesus. We get to escape the wrath, but some people won't. Something else I've learned about sin is that you study like criminal stats and things like that. I don't know if you, or if you watch like those crime movies on TV. You see how something starts small, and then it escalates. Have you noticed that? Um, we were watching one recently where, where somebody made approaches on women, and then, then it led to rape. And then later it led to having a gun. And then it led to murder. And it kind of escalates. Our sin slowly escalates. If you allow sin in your life, and if you don't, find Jesus. And if you don't kind of start to work out where God is in your life, then you can go in a downward spiral. You see it in prisons. 
You see it, these kind of career criminals, they start with stealing something small, then they steal something bigger, then the next thing they've got a weapon, then they start to kill one person, then they're killing 10 people. Now it's, now it's starting to get complicated. Now all sin is justified. It's what starts to happen. You start to just... So there's this downward spiral that can start happening. So there's a consequence of that. And right at the end of that spiral, if you haven't found Jesus, God's wrath. You think of the parable of the, the prodigal son. There's a little bit of that downward spiral there. Starts with a little bit of greed and it kind of just gets worse and worse and he ends up sitting with pigs. But the point being, he can pull himself out. He pulled himself out and came back to the Father. So we all can change. We all can pull ourselves back towards God. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Ecclesiastes 7.20, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Nobody. Isaiah 59.2, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear you. Sin is a terrible thing. It's in us. It's how it operates. But we have the opportunity to come close to God, to have our relationship with, restored with God, and to get away from that separation that is created. I guess it's a very basic way of describing it, but if you've done something to somebody, you feel embarrassed about it. You end up with a separation. You don't want to talk to them and you kind of avoid them. There's an element of that. But I think it's bigger than that. God is holy, and God cannot be in the presence of something that is not holy. But with Jesus' blood washing over us, we become holy. He sees himself. He sees Jesus. He sees holiness and restores that relationship. Amanda, can you read one more? Romans 1, 16, 17. It's a short one. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So by faith, we get to experience Jesus and we get to accept him into our lives. And that faith set, sets us apart from the sin. It covers our sin and restores our relationship with Jesus. All it is, is asking. Asking and you receive. And that relationship is restored. It's not based on rules. There's an element where people get worried that, so if I become a Christian, do I have to obey these 12 rules? No. It's, it's not about a, obedience to rules. It is about faith and being with Jesus and being with God. Will you ultimately probably obey the rules? You probably will, but that's not the point. The point is that you love Jesus. You're in a relationship with him. It's like saying, if you become a good person, will you obey the speed limits on the road? You probably will. 
But the rule is not the issue. The issue is your heart and where your heart is at. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's doing heart surgery on each of us. And so we have that ability to get into Jesus, to get to him, to be reconciled, to have a relationship with him. And that's what restores us in our relationship with God and keeps us away from the wrath of Jesus. There was a guy at work who um, said, um, he's a Hindu, and he said to two or three of us, he says, I am amazed by how much freedom you have. He says, I do not have that in my religion. You, you have freedom, and I can see it in you. I can see that you enjoy life, that you love what you do, and that, that, that life is good and grand, and you're not tied down and borne down. That is what we have in Jesus. We have the freedom. Not freedom to disobey rules, but freedom because our hearts are changed. We're in a completely different place. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. John 3.16, Acts 4.12. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. The parable of the lost sheep. No matter how lost you are, the shepherd will find you. He will drag you out of that crevice and out of the mud out of the forest, out of wherever it is you have found yourself. He will drag you out. He will find you and bring you back to the sheep. We get to find Jesus. And I guess the point of Romans 1, where Paul's coming from, other than saying, hello, he's saying, this is the gospel. You are sinners. But Jesus can set you free. Jesus can set you free. And you can have a relationship with God. That's Romans 1. And so how does that apply to us? We're all sinners. It applies to all of us. And it doesn't matter which community you are. It doesn't matter what your culture is. It doesn't matter what language you speak. We have that opportunity to be changed from the inside out. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. 1 Peter 2.24 He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you've healed. Galatians 5.1 For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And submit to a yoke of slavery. It's freedom. And so you change from the inside out. You become the good Samaritan, not because you're following a rule, but because you're different. Your heart has changed. Now, some of us might not have had the opportunity. So can you all stand? I want to actually just give an opportunity based on Romans 1. Some of you might want to recommit your lives to Jesus. You want to you want to recommit to being able to follow God, to get your heart refreshed, to allow the Holy Spirit in and to allow the Holy Spirit to work in you. For some of you, maybe you're not Christians, maybe you're not aware of the gospel, you're not aware of, of um, 
what the gospel can do for your life. I want to pray for you as well. If you want to accept Jesus, then I'd like to give you that opportunity as well. And then at some point, Zalani can baptize you in water. Is there anyone here who would like to give their life to Jesus? Anyone, if you're brave enough to raise your hand, it takes boldness and bravery to follow Jesus. Is there anyone here who would like to recommit their life? Thank you. Let's close your eyes. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray for everyone here. I pray that you would help them to know you. Help them to know you in an extraordinary fashion, not in the normal way that it is. I pray that you really revive the fire, no matter the age, culture, language, whatever it is. I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come down on every single person here today. I pray that you would move in amongst us today, move into the lives of everyone here, that you would just empower us, fire us up, get us excited about you, not about laws or anything, but just about you, Lord. As Zalani said in the beginning, you are more than enough. That is it. We have you, we have everything we need. And that's what I pray for for everyone here today, that they have you. That that's all they need is just you, that they draw close to you. I pray, Lord, for the people here who, who feel maybe a little bit dry, that they want to recommit to you, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you, that you bless them in that, that you give them direction, fire them up, so that they may be able to stand up for you, to be able to hear your voice and follow where you're going. And whatever it is you need said, whatever it is you need done, that they just do it because they just love you and they hear you and they just go with you, Lord. I pray that for all of us here, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe one other thing. Forgot to tell you earlier. Um, Michelle and I were on loan from Olive Tree. We love you all. But our time is up. So in the next couple of weeks, we will be returning to Olive Tree. I'm sure we'll be back to preach every now and again. Um, we will be stepping down from eldership and council at the AGM, just to make you aware of that. Thank you. Thank you, Greg. Yeah. Can we just pray for Greg and Michelle for their faithfulness here? Yeah? And for their really, really hard work of say, here we are. Lord, you've called us. And we just want to bless them. And if you come up in the front, guys, just bless you. And, and in the whole church, let's just pray for them as they're in the new transition, in the new move. And, and that the Lord will lead them and guide them. But as, as the church, the body of Sarepta, we want to say thank you for your faithfulness. And thank you for really allowing God to use you in this space. And then we know that as human beings, sometimes we, 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 we can't figure things out. But God has got a better plan for you, Greg and Michelle, and hope. And we, we just want to pray that the Lord will bless you. And we just want to look to that moment where where God says, well done, my faithful servant. And don't we know that we haven't lost you because you're not going any far, but we want to say to you, well done to our wonderful servant. Thank you, Jesus, for Greg and Michelle. Thank you for their servanthood heart. 
And Lord, we thank you that they did all this thing for your glory. So Lord, I just pray for them right now. That as they, wherever they go, that they will continue transforming and changing life. And Lord, we thank you for the time that they've been with us in this church. Lord, you know them. And they are yours. And Lord, I pray that we may know that you've got it all. And they may know as well that they are in the right place. And Lord, we thank you for, for their beautiful heart. And Lord, we, we just really bless them in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Anyone? Yeah, I'm, I'm just reminded of the story of the Good Samaritan. You know, we had a difficult year last two years, and and Greg and Michelle came into our lives as that Good Samaritan. They didn't just walk past like the priest, Lord. And we just thank you, Lord, for them. They're just the wonderful blessing they have been to us, the example, Lord, and and how hard that they've worked to help us, Lord. I just pray that you'll just bless them, Lord, and hope and, and that whole family that you'll just go before them, Lord, and yeah, bless them. Thank you for them. Thank you, Jesus. I just pray that you fill them up with the Holy Spirit. I pray that they will keep shining you. Fill them up right now. And we just pray for, especially for Greg and Michelle as the mom, that, Lord, he can be able to balance that life and even Greg at work. But, Lord, within all, fill them up with the Holy Spirit. And we bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Greg and Michelle. Um, actually, if sitting down and, and guys, go read chapter 2. It's uh, like the book of Romans. And then I look at you, Trevor, sitting down there. And I know that we're going to have good stuff from you. I pray that you can have a moment where you can say yes and for another day. But there's so much good stuff in the book of Romans. And it's been amazing just to hear the image of Paul when they describe him. He was not like a, like a big, he was like a short man, as they say. But it's like really amazing, fascinating how he speaks to us even in this day. It's just, I want us to love the Bible and love it because it brings life. But what I want to challenge to you, there's tea and the coffee. If you don't know anybody sitting here, go ask them their names. And I believe as well, as the pastor of this church, some of you are forgetting all your names. But today, I wanted to like, be brave. What's your name? <laughs> My name is Zolani. And then good to know you. And just that how we should be, man. That we are brothers and sisters here. So just challenge someone. If you want to get him some cup of tea or say, oh, I got some cup of tea. How they say it in England? Uh, a cup of tea. <laughs> A cup of soup, and then just that's how it is. But go be with the Lord during the week. And I wanted to say to you a lot of love in Jesus' name. Amen. Bye.
Jed used to say, no clapping, <laughs> no clapping. Give all the glory to Jesus. <laughs>